Hello and welcome to Folklore of the Universe, the podcast only available in the darkest timeline and the meh-est timeline. I'm your host, Kyle. Welcome to episode... what is it? Nine? Episode nine. Here we are. It feels like it's been forever since the last episode, which I guess the last one was a few days early, so there's that extended time. But, I don't know, mostly time's just been going extra slow. Uh, at least that's what it feels like. Again, I don't, I don't know how time works, so I'm not really qualified to answer any theorizations on what the nature of time is. But that's not what this podcast is about. This is about folklore. Yeah, it's about folklore, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, first, I've got some other stuff I want to talk about. I've done a little bit of traveling, went down to the desert in Arizona, saw some rad petroglyphs, and we're going to talk about petroglyphs for a little bit before the we go into the actual stories. Because petroglyphs are vaguely related to this, they symbolize important things to people, important cultural aspects, and they've, they've usually got tie-ins to folklore, so we're going to do a bit of petroglyph chat, petro chat, and then we're going to move into our stories. So, what are petroglyphs? Petroglyphs are these little carvings made into rock faces that people did a long-ass time ago. They can be animals, humanoid shapes, or just random geometric symbols and patterny thingies. Generally, it's sort of hard to know what different petroglyphs mean because they're often the only evidence information we have of the people who made them. So they could be some sort of marker sign, like a trail sign or information marker. They could have some mystical or spiritual property. Or people could have just made them because they got bored. It's sort of, we don't really know. There have been some guesses at what they mean, but no definitive solution thoughts. Of course, there's also a lot of variation because they've been found on every continent, except for Antarctica. Unless penguins made some. I don't think penguins have made any yet, though. But they've been found almost all over the world, so it does vary a lot from place to place and what the cultures who made them meant by them. So you can't apply the same general standards to every petroglyph on the entire goddamn planet. So some of the educated guesses on what they mean, uh, like for the animals, is that since many of these cultures were probably animists, they believed in these different animal spirits, is that these petroglyphs of animals were venerating them or depicting these animal spirits. They could have been somehow tied to ensuring a good hunt and successful hunt. Or they just could have been celebrating these spirits. A lot of the humanoid figures could be fertility symbols. Like we talked about in the last episode, the spring special, how there is this tie-in between human fertility and crop-slash-nature fertility. And for some of these, we do know for sure. One common figure in southwestern United States petroglyphs is Cocopelli who is this uh, fertility god who is often found in petroglyphs, and he has this somewhat humanoid figure. So we do have solid, exact evidence of this correlation. As for the random geometric shapes, who knows, man. That Those could be anything, and it's really, really hard to, for especially for just random swirls and patterns, understand what was going through people's heads when they carved those out. There's often a lot of commonality between them, though. For example, spiral shapes show up all over the place. They're really common among petroglyphs and carvings and other things of that nature. Which is really impressive, because carving a spiral, carving a curve in general, is a really hard thing to do. 
You may have noticed in a lot of old buildings where stuff is where letters are carved into stone that the U's are replaced by V's because a V is easier to carve than a U. So to carve an entire spiral is pretty damn impressive. Props to the ancient petroglyphers who did that. But I think that's enough of Petro Chat. Uh, we didn't really cover that much, but it's a little overview, a little brush on that. Uh, if you enjoyed that and want me to go more in depth in a future episode, let me know. But now we're going to move on to our actual stories, the actual episode format that we do. So for this episode, I think what I'm going to do is we're going to start off with an Aboriginal Australian folk story. Then we're going to do a West African folk story. And that should be, that'll, that'll be it. So let's get started with that. First up is our Aboriginal Australian folk story. This one is called The Gala and Ula the Lizard. Ula the lizard was tired of lying in the sun, doing nothing, so he said, I will go and play. He took his boomerangs out and began to practice throwing them. While he was doing so, a gala came up and stood near, watching the boomerangs come flying back, for the kind of boomerangs Ula was throwing were booberas. They are smaller than others and more curved, and when they are properly thrown, they return to the thrower, which other boomerangs do not. Ula was proud of having the gay gala to watch his skill. In his pride, he gave the boobera an extra twist and threw it with all his might. Whiz, whizzing through the air, back it came, hitting, as it passed her, the gala on top of her head, taking both feathers and skin clean off. The gala set up a hideous, cawing, croaking shriek and flew about, stopping every few minutes to knock her head on the grounds like a mad bird. Ula was so frightened when he saw what he had done, and noticed that the blood was still flowing from the gala's head, that he glided away to hide under a binde bush. But the gala saw him. She never stopped the hideous noise she was making for a minute, but still shrieking, followed Ula. When she reached the binde bush, she rushed at Ula, seized him with her beak, rolled him onto the bush until every binde had made a hole in his skin. Then she rubbed his skin with her own bleeding head. Now then, she said, you Ulak shall carry bindes on you always, and the stain of my blood. And you, said Ula, as he hissed with pain from the tingling of his prickles, shall be a bald-headed bird as long as I am a red prickly lizard. So to this day, underneath the gala's crest, you can always find the bald patch, which the boober of Ula first made. And in the country of the galas are lizards colored reddish-brown, and covered with spikes like bindi prickles. The End This is another one of those explanation stories, or origin story stories, that tells us why things are the way they are. So this explains things about the gala birds and about the lizards. In general, it doesn't specify what type of lizard Ula is, but it gives us a little description, so I guess someone could figure it out, maybe? I don't know, I don't think the type of lizard is that important. The gala birds, uh, those on the other hand, we know what those are, specifically. Galas are a type of Australian cockatoo. Knowing Australian wildlife, they are probably venomous, and almost certainly can shoot beams of radioactive energy like Godzilla can. They've got grey on them, they've also got a lot of pink, including their heads. So I guess they could kind of look like they got clonked on the head by a boomerang. Speaking of boomerangs, let's talk about them. So boomerangs are, well, they were invented by the Aboriginal Australians, which is why they're in the story. And they're a very useful hunting tool, especially the returning ones, because there's two types. There's returning ones and non-returning ones. They're both kind of similar, but the non-returning ones are designed to beeline and go really straight and just... Bam, hit something straight down the line and just do do that. So if you see like a kangaroo and you want to boomerang it, boom, you can just hit it with a non-returning one. 
The returning ones are nice because if you screw everything up and miss your shot, then it flies back to you and you get a second try, which is obviously very handy if you're trying to hunt things. Because you don't have to go and pick it up now, you've just got it back in your hands. While we typically think of all boomerangs as the returning ones, traditionally most of them but used by the Aboriginal Australians were non-returning ones. So that's why in the story it makes special distinction that the one that Ula has is a returning one, which is its own special different thing. Now the story isn't just an explanation one for why galas and lizards look the way they do, it does also have some moral lessons to it. Which, I mean, okay, all, all the stories have moral lessons to them, so really that sort of should be assumed. Don't need to say that specifically. Um, but, so, morals, yeah, they're a thing, they exist, possibly, they might be subjective, they might be objective, who knows, whatever. Moral of the story is that while Ula conking the gala on the head was an accident, it only happened because he was showing off. So, there's a pretty clear moral here that's don't be a show-off, don't try and look cool in front of your friends because ten years down the line, they're going to repossess your skateboard and your boomerang and your kidney. Maybe both of them. So don't don't hang. Don't do the cool stuff. Do the boring, safe stuff. Like math and carpentry. Actually, carpentry is pretty cool, too. Math's okay. Neither of them is safe, either. If, unless you're very, very careful. This has kind of been a bit of an insane ramble. Back to the folklore stuff, the moral is don't be a show-off, don't try and impress the gala birds. And if you do make a mistake, own up to it, admit that you were wrong, and apologize. Don't go hide under a bindi bush, or otherwise the bird you just smacked on the head is going to go absolutely apeshit and turn you into a prickly red monster thing. So there's a very important lesson in that too. Before we move on, I just gotta say that the opening to that story is painfully relatable. The bit of Ula was tired of lying in the sun doing nothing. Because, holy shit, that's like, me all the time. Like, I'm just, you know, I'm lying, you're lying around, it's 2 o'clock p.m. on a Saturday, and you're like, god damn, what am I doing with existence? Is that anyone else who feels that, or is it just me? I know my fish does. So, I'm not, not the only one. But, that's enough of the Australian madness. Well, we're gonna move on now to our West African folk story. This story comes from Ghana, and it is called The Bag of Salt. There was once a time when nobody had any salt in the village where Lizard lived. So Lizard traveled far and wide, and bought a sack full of salt. He tied up the sack with some rope, and tied the other end of the rope around his neck. This was the way he began dragging the bag of salt behind him home to his village. On the way, he met Tortoise. They talked a bit and parted, but when Lizard was not looking behind, Tortoise cut the rope that held the sack and tied a stone to Lizard's end of the rope. Then he made off with the bag of salt himself. After pulling for some time, Lizard stopped for a rest and turned around. There was no bag of salt, just a big stone. Lizard did not know what to do, so he went to Ananu, the spider, and told him how he had brought this bag of salt and lost it. Ananu listened to his story, and then told him not to worry, but to be patient and wait, and Ananu promised to find the bag of salt himself and bring it back for Lizard. Ananu went off looking for the bag of salt straight away, and soon he caught up with Tortoise on the road. Tortoise, too, was dragging the bag of salt behind him. 
Ananu too cut the rope holding the sack and started pulling the bag away with them. Tortoise turned around to Ananu and asked him why he was doing that. Ananu said the bag was his, because he was just sitting in a tree by the side of the road when he saw the sack lying on the grounds and he came down and claimed it. He said that if Tortoise did not believe him, he would take him up into the tree and show him where he had been when he saw the sack. Since he was carrying the sack and climbing a tree was difficult for Tortoise anyway, Spider offered to wrap Tortoise up in some leaves and carry him up with the sack. Tortoise said alright, and Ananu took him and the sack up into the tree, but when they got there, Ananu dropped Tortoise to the grounds. When Tortoise hit the grounds, it was hard and stony, his shell cracked in many places. That is why Tortoise has many lines all over his back. The End this is yet another one of those origin explanation story stories. Uh, this, of course, is explicitly why Tortoise has all those lines on the back of its shell. There is a lot more to it than that, though, which we're going to get into and unpack. So first, let's talk about salt. First off, I was really surprised by the name, uh, The Bag of Salt, to see that there's a Ghana folk story about some of my friends. Turns out this was referring to a different bag of salt than them, so that's, that's too bad, because it'd be cool to be the subject of a folk story, but salt is its own thing. It tastes good. I'm one of those people who pretty much put salt on everything I eat. Uh, no matter how much salt's already on it, there's always more goes on, and pepper. And today, salt, it's really cheap. Like, you just scoop it off the grounds, fish it out of the, the gutters, and you got some salt. But back in the day, it was pretty rare and very, very valuable. So back in the day, the only ways to get salt were to dig it up out of a salt mine, which do exist, they're pretty whack, or alternatively to distill it out of seawater, which again, without industrial machinery, is kind of tricky to do and very time and energy consum consuming, consumptioning. It takes a lot to distill it out of seawater if all you've got is a campfire and a little clay bowl. Salt was not only valued because it tasted good and made food better, but also because it was preservative. If you salt this shit out of meat, it'll make it last a long time, which is a really valuable thing before refrigeration because it extends the life of your food. So if you've got a bunch of food now, you could salt some of it and save that for later, and if there's a famine, you'd have your secret salty food stash to help survive. Or if it was just generally winter time, because that was also a pretty low food area time. So that gives some context onto why the salt is so precious in the story and why everyone's sort of going after it. Another interesting thing here is that we've got tortoises being clever, devious little bastards again. Like in the last one, the big race one, which was, that was Yoruba story, which isn't the same as Ghana, it's a ways away. But similar regions, uh, their cultures probably have had contact and trade for a long time, so ideas flowed back and forth. And also, again, tortoises being clever and crafty just seems to be a sort of general human idea. Because, if you'll remember, we also had that Seneca story a while back that was a turtle being smart to outrace a beaver. So, to reiterate, do not trust tortoises. They will steal all of your toes. We've also got this character of Ananu the Spider, who shows up a few times throughout West African folklore, and named spiders in general are sort of a common figure, and they take the role of tricksters generally. 
So sometimes they're helpful, like in this one, sometimes they just sort of cause chaos and get messed up. Because most cultures, I think, have a story where the trickster figure gets what's coming to him. As far as morals go, there's a pretty clear don't steal other people's salt, and probably just general don't steal one here. So that's pretty straightforward. But I think that's about it for this episode. So, thank you for listening to this one. There'll be another one out in a couple of weeks again, as per usual. Should be back to normal schedule for now. Although next episode is episode 10, so maybe I'll have to do something a little specialer for that, but we'll see. Anyways, I've been Kyle. This has been the podcast, the show. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, let me know. If you haven't, let me know what I can fix. Please share this around to everyone you know so we can get some more listeners on board. And that is all. So, thank you again, and bye.